Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Beyond the Fence podcast. My name is Ben Quagliata and joining me today, it's been a while since we've had him on, but to talk all things FIBA World Cup, pick and roll writer and founder of Airtime Australasian Scouting, Michael Huben. How are you, mate? Yeah, really good. Thanks, mate. Good to be back on and really exciting for another uh, Boomers major tournament to come back around. Always fun times talking about the uh, the Australian squad. Feels like there's a bit of national momentum at the moment, up coming off the back of the Matildas, straight into the Boomers. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of energy that I think's been parlayed from the um, from their success, and you know I think it's it's nice that we get to go straight back into it and get to you know keep the vibes going. So since last we spoke, you as I mentioned, you started your own little scouting business. How's that going for you? Yeah, it's definitely keeping me busy. Um, yeah, I've probably been a little less active on the on the Twitter and different social medias just because I've been juggling all these different things, but. Uh, it's been really exciting to invest a bit more time and energy in sort of scouting and, and looking at the upcoming Australian talent that we have um, and New Zealand talent um, emerging over the um, the next few years here in Australian basketball scene. Obviously, um, we've seen how many talented young guys have, have entered the, through the NBL this season, um, not just through the Next Stars program internationally, but a lot of the um, Australian locals coming through, guys like Rocco Zakarski guys like Alex Tui, um, seeing those guys emerge is really exciting. So scouting those guys, seeing the the even younger ones that are coming through after them, um, it's a really exciting time to, to be a part of that scene. And who knows, maybe in a few years we'll be talking about them going to a World Cup. Well, that's right. I mean, I even saw a few calls when we had um, we had Jock Landau go down saying, oh, let's get Rocco Zakarski straight in the squad. You know, he's 7-3. You know, he'll do the job. <laughs> he might be a few years away, but um, it is exciting times to think that those guys are, are there in the pipeline. How old? Rocco is what, 17, 18? I think he might have just turned 17. Yeah. Yep. Still super young. Um, you wouldn't have guessed it based on his preseason performance the other day. Just destroyed CBU. But uh, yeah, give him a few more years, and he's going to be something to behold. Because yeah, Delhi, Delhi made the was it the what was that wait London? No, he didn't make the O eight squad, did he? I've just made a fool of myself. He made twelve when he was still in college. He yeah, I believe he was still at St Mary's at the time. So yeah, we definitely do get the opportunity. But to not play that young, guys in young, maybe not quite this young. Yeah, um, but you think of guys like Bogut, guys like Patty. You know, they entered in really young as well. Um, so yeah, he might be the next one up. Uh, speaking of Delhi, let, let's go back to, I guess, when the 18-man squad was first announced for the Boomers, the training camp up in Cairns, and then they gradually cut the squad down all the way to what it is now. But I wanted to touch on, I guess, just briefly, the guys that didn't make it. I guess the first round of cuts was quite interesting because it was all centers. It was Thonmaker, Keanu Pinder, and Sam Froling. And we'll get to the center depth later. But from those three, was there ever, I guess, from your point of view, any chance that any of those three would actually feature seriously into the squad calculation? I, I don't think they, they ever were a serious chance. I do think they were very legitimate uh, pieces to this training camp. And, um, you know, obviously with hindsight and, and seeing the lack of big man depth that we have, you know, maybe they would have had a chance um, knowing how things would have played out. But I think if you look at the full 18-man roster, I think there were a few guys that were slightly behind the pace in terms of their playing level. Um, with that being said, I think it's a fantastic experience for those guys. I think they're right on the cusp. You look at a guy like Sam Froling, he's one of the most exciting young bigs we have in the NBL. Is he on a boomer's pace? Not right now, but I think in the future, you know, he has those sort of skills and qualities that, you know, he might get called upon in a future tournament and having the experience of 
you know, one of these camps behind him is really instrumental for that. Uh, likewise for Thon Maker, we know he has um, some great name recognition behind him. You know, he's played in the NBA. It is really hard though. You know, he's come out of a season in the, in the CBA and we know Drew Reith did as well. Um, but, you know, we have some other points of references for Drew like Summer League, which we know he did fantastically in. And, you know, that inspired a lot of confidence in people to think that he's an NBA player. But it is very hard going from a setting like that and then trying to throw someone straight into a FIBA setting, uh, especially at a World Cup event and having a lot of faith in that data point alone um, to translate. Now, I think Fon's an incredible talent. I'd love to see him um, in a more relevant league like the NBL where he can sort of assess him a little bit better. Um, but as it stands, you know, I think Thon probably a little bit behind the pace. I think Jop had a slightly better CBA season as well. And those two actually matched up a few times during their season. I believe Jop got the best of Thon over those matchups. But Thon's a guy, brings some great qualities. Obviously, given the roster right now, would bring some much-needed size. But I think if you look at his game, uh, he lacks maybe some of the interior force that, uh, you know, in terms of the skill set that's really required at that center position. It's not necessarily a dominant rebounder. Uh, he, he can block shots, but he's not a dominant rim protector either. Um, in, and his offensive game is more predicated on playing out on the perimeter. So I don't think that skill set necessarily lended itself that well to uh, the boomers' requirements as well. Um, and then you look at a guy like Keanu Pinder, again, fantastic NBL season. Uh, I think he needs another season or two to really consolidate and, and build upon that in the NBL. And again, you look at his size, he's not actually that much bigger than someone like a Xavier Cooks or Jack White is a bit smaller, but he does play bigger than his size. So I don't think Keanu was necessarily going to bring that extra size that was really required. And I think when you looked at that 18-man squad that uh, Gorgian had to work with, I think that Landale and Reith were the two obvious selections in the in the front court there. Yeah, it's funny because way back during the NBL season, I was starting to like think about when I was, because I've been keen for this tournament for months now, starting to think about, I guess, the NBL guys that would be in consideration. And Pinder's name kept coming up in my mind just, A, because of the season he had with Cairns. But you're right, he's he's not quite that traditional center. I mean, he gets away with it in the NBL, but he, he's really quite a small ball athletic FIBA center. And I did wonder if it would come down to someone like him versus Xavier Cooks, considering what they would provide in a FIBA tournament. I think Pinder's probably got the slighter edge on the shooting, um, but we know what a great athlete he is in transition and how he can like get the ball and go. Developing offensive game, but probably still not his strength. But on Thon Maker, interestingly, I actually did wonder if he would get a little bit of credit from his performances at the Asia Cup last year, because he was top five in that tournament. I think he got first team, not quite the uh, MVP, but obviously the Asia Cup is a different level of competition entirely. And I do hope that one day we do see what Fon can fully provide. But yeah, I think when you look back at how the warm-up games went, and I guess that, because I think when I looked at this squad at the start, I was like, for the first three cuts, like, yeah, I'm not surprised Fon got cut, but I actually did think he would have an outside chance on uh, to make the roster. But I mean, yeah, once we saw how Duot played in those warm-ups, he really, you know, left us in no doubt as to the level he was operating at at the moment. Yeah, definitely. I think Reith and Landau, definitely the two most well-rounded bigs and, and more traditional bigs out of the crop. And I think, you know, you look back at the qualifying periods that we had, and I think the mentality that it needs to be looked at is 
you know, this is a culmination of a variety of qualifying periods. Everyone that played for the Boomers over the last few years in these periods have all been a part of this process and a part of the Boomers to get them to where they are now. And I think that's, you know, one of the really awesome things about following the Boomers over the years, not just in the couple of weeks where the tournament's held, is seeing everyone that may not be in the final 12 still supporting the squad. You know, I saw Thon tweet that he's heading back out to to LA uh, this week, but, you know, he's still there watching all the games. He wants to see the streams. He's commenting on um, every game as it's played, and it's cool to see that wider group support the team um, because they've all had their part to play in getting them where they are now. Yeah, I saw an Instagram reel from uh, the Boomers about that, the culture night that they had, and Paddy Mills was talking about I don't know what it is, but once you get into this environment, the what it means to be a boomer, you know, playing for Australia, it's something that we are the best in the world at, not to toot our own horn, but these are his words, not mine. But it's something that we're the best in the world at is is instilling that unity and that togetherness. And yeah, like Thon, I saw him talking about how sad he was for Jock when he went down after the uh, Sudan game and South Sudan game, sorry. And it just really shows that when you look at how far we've come from scratching and clawing to, to make a team now that it's like you've got legitimate NBA level talents, maybe not NBA level production, but guys like Thon Maker who have had NBA careers and who might conceivably get back there one day, you never say never. Um, it's a really cool, I guess, path to look back on and reflect. Yeah, and you want guys to feel a part of the program as well. I think... Uh... You know, you might even look at the South Sudanese, you know, group that has emerged over the past few years. And we've seen a lot of Australian players, not just guys that haven't played for the Boomers in the past, go and play for South Sudan, but actually guys that have played for Australia in the past. And Gorgian spoke on this uh, last week in his press conference about Basketball Australia actually giving clearance for these guys to go and represent South Sudan. And that's fantastic. And it's, you know, really inspiring story in and of itself. But you also want guys to want to represent the Boomers if they're in a capacity to, to play and make a difference on that team. And, you know, you look at a guy like Joe Parikh or Thon Maker, for instance, if Thon somehow felt alienated from the Boomers program because he got cut or somewhat disenchanted, he might go, oh, stuff it. You know, I want to go play for South Sudan. But we know that, you know, Thon is a valued member of the extended Boomers squad. And in, in different circumstances, he might, might be a guy that's a difference maker. So... It's really important that they all feel included and in all part of it. And yeah, Thon definitely had his part to play during those uh, qualifying periods. What's what's the FIBA rule around representing another nation? Because I know in soccer, it's like once you've played competitively, you're done. Is it just a clearance thing? Yeah, it sounds so. In the past, it sounded very rigid. Um, but I think the rules have sort of been evolving over the more recent years. I think the first time we saw it really come into play for us was with Sunday Detch. Uh, he, he represented Australia during, you know, one of these more obscure qualifying periods. And then we later saw him on the South Sudanese team. Mango Mathiang's another example of a guy that did play for Australia, albeit, you know, once or twice. So I'm not sure of uh, the amount of games you've played or, you know, the, the nature of the games, whether, you know, it was a major tournament or just a qualifying period might have an impact on that. Um, but it does make you think, and it makes you think as well. I saw uh, the quote from Kyrie Irving this week. Yeah, saying, I was going to ask that. <laughs> He's going to play for Australia. And it makes you think, well, okay, we were told at the time, well, he represented the US when he was 17, 18, and they sort of blooded him in, and that was that. You know, we couldn't have Kyrie. It makes you think, you know, 
maybe they could have done some wheeling and dealing and got him over the line. Yeah, I was actually going to ask, could we see Kyrie in the green and gold? If that's probably, I mean, if, ignoring all the left field stuff he does, like it's probably just a bridge too far now. Anyway, yeah. um, I wonder if it is that like then a look. I, I know you don't know. I'm just kind of talking off the cuff here, but like it's a bit of a trade off. Then like could Sunday come back and play for Australia, or is that just like it? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I'd, I'd suspect once that move is made, it's pretty concrete. Um, I don't think people would want guys jumping ship too much. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think it hasn't been to Australia's detriment up to this point. These are guys that generally wouldn't play in a major tournament. Um, but we know there's just a burgeoning amount of South Sudanese talent in Australia. And it, there may come a time where eventually there's a guy that we really want on this Boomers 12 and he opts to go for a different allegiance in terms of their FIBA play. So, you know, to South Sudan's game, but to our detriment. Now, speaking of South Sudan, and I guess the warm-up games in general, actually, I was kind of surprised when Basketball Australia announced that they'd made two more cuts, so down to 13 prior Mm. to the Melbourne warm-up games. Like, I actually thought they'd carry the 15 and maybe just give some guys a look, but... I don't know, maybe that was something that was communicated ahead of time and I just missed it. But yeah, Matthew Delavadover and Will McDowell-White, the last two cuts before the Melbourne games. I think Delhi was a tough one, right? Because on the one hand, he clearly means a lot to this Boomers program. He's done so much. He was part of the bronze medal, sorry, rose gold winning squad back in Tokyo. Debuted for the Boomers while he was still in college. Has been around, you know, never missed a game pretty much, even played when he didn't have to, to go to the Philippines. And we that's the five-year anniversary this week of that crazy game as well. But I think the other side of it is you look at what he's actually done on the court the last year or so, and it's like, maybe it was time to, to go in a different direction. But I think that would have been maybe the toughest cut that Gorge had to make from an emotional point of view, if not a pure basketball point of view. Yeah, I heard it described perfectly uh, by my fellow pick and roller, Ben Malice, as sentimentally almost like shooting Bambi. Um, you know, this is this is a guy that has been a mainstay of the team for so long. He's been so committed to the Boomers program and such a big part of, you know, that culture that we talk about that has been instilled over the past decade or two. And it almost feels wrong for him to not be a part of the team. But, you know, every player has their day uh, when it comes to the national program. And it doesn't help when we have so much young talent coming through. And I think it got to a point where, uh, you look at Della Vadova, you know, yes, spent the season with the, the Sacramento Kings, but um, the trade-off in terms of what was required on this roster, it just wasn't quite there on the court. Um, with that being said, again, I think it's fantastic that he was a part of the the camp and, you know, was able to instill his presence within the group. You even think of someone like Aaron Baines, who I sort of throw into a similar category. This is a guy that didn't even make the 18-man squad. And we have seen that, you know, he has had a bit of a fall off and some very extreme circumstances to get him to where he is right now. And, you know, we're very lucky to watch him in the NBL right now. But, you know, these are two guys that it almost feels a bit wrong for them to not be a part of it. Um, so it's a transition, but, you know, sometimes you've got to rip the Band-Aid off and I'm, I'm sure Della Vadova has, you know, come to terms with that decision. I actually listened to Bogut's podcast recently and he, I don't want to uh, misinterpret what he said. I don't remember exactly, but he sort of suggested that 
Dali almost forced himself onto this camp. You know, he he made sure that he was a part of it. Um, and by all accounts, he seems in fantastic shape. You know, he's worked really hard to maintain a high level of play and, you know, his body at a higher level as well. And I think he's going to have a fantastic season for United. But when you look at the direction this team's going, and Gorgian's expressed m- multiple times how much he loves multi-positional, athletic, defensive-type guys and how that really fits his mould of play, having a guy like Daly, you know, he hustles his ass off. He's a great defender, but he is a point guard at the end of the day. And we have Josh Giddy, we have Paddy Mills, we have Dante Exum, all these ball handlers. I just don't think there was really a spot for Daly. Um, and, and that's the same case for Will McDowell-White, a guy that has, you know, fantastic talent, could definitely contribute on this squad. But again, there's just a bevy of riches when it comes to the guard positions on this team. And there just wasn't quite a spot when the when push came to shove. Yeah, I think in the case of McDowell-White, I was really happy that he at least got some form of recognition for the wonderful season he had with the New Zealand Breakers by getting onto this camp in the first place. And, I mean, that's only going to do wonders for him going coming off a of boomer's camp, going into another professional season, coming off the back of the finals that he led the Breakers to. I think he's a guy in the future that could be one of those NBL guys that gets into the boomer's squad because he's a big point guard. He's about 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, we know what he's like handling the ball he can distribute the shots improved from I think when he first came onto the scene um with the Sydney Kings way back when if anyone remembers that the long-haired kid that came through with the Kings and he was just really there for the ride but developed into I think the best point guard the local point guard in the NBL and I think definitely one day uh McDowell White's going to get into that squad but yeah considering the the talent ahead of him it's maybe the most loaded position the Boomers have on the guards, especially when you consider, you know, the guy at the head of the queue, Josh Giddy, uh, probably unlucky to not make the Tokyo roster, um, had his day at the draft. But yeah, like what we've seen in the warm-up games, like it's very, very exciting to see Giddy coming in. Yeah, Giddy's been fantastic. And it's amazing how we've gone in a two-year period from someone who, you know, in my opinion, probably should have made the team as, you know, one of the uh, the end of bench guys two years ago. But to go from that position having been cut to basically going straight to being, you know, the head of the snake this year is quite a remarkable turnaround. And it is quite a transition for the team. You know, we've seen fantastic play from Josh over these warm-up games. We know what we were getting. We've seen him in the NBA and his skill set has translated really well into the FIBA basketball uh, I think the biggest thing for this team and, you know, I, I think over the years we've really pined for the missing element on these Boomers teams, which is that NBA dynamism, that athleticism. Uh, and now that we have it, it's fantastic, but it's learning to incorporate that into what we have, you know, meshing the new with the old. And, you know, I, I think it's easy in a sense to take for granted all the um, traditional qualities this Boomers team had, you know, they played a gritty, grimy game. They played fantastically as a team. And sometimes when you add all these individual talents in, there's a big transition period and figuring out how to make all those qualities work together is a big thing. And I think that we have seen some growing pains over these warm-up games and trying to incorporate Giddy and the dynamic between Giddy and Mills, who's used to such a big usage rate on this team, has been a really big change for this group. It's funny you bring that up, actually, because I was going to ask if you had taken, like, what a key takeaway, I guess, was from the warm-up games. And I think that's probably it. Paddy Mills, I think, struggled 
shooting the ball. And I do wonder if it is just an adaptation to his new role as playing off the ball more. Um, not that he was ever like forced into a dominant point guard role because he was always playing alongside someone like Delhi. But yeah, playing pretty much strictly off the ball now. We saw him... Uh, I missed the Venezuela game because I was sitting in Oppenheim, but I don't think there was much to take out of a 50-point win or whatever that was. But the other two games that I did catch and then even the, the game against France uh, really, really struggled. And the, they kept making the point on the commentary that all these shots were coming up short. And I wonder if that's just getting used to a new role, maybe playing off the ball more, maybe just a lack of minutes after not being played much in last year at Brooklyn. I, I don't know what your take on it is. Yeah, I know he didn't have the most prolific NBA season, um, but it didn't feel like he dropped off a cliff. I think everyone expected Paddy to come in and be Fever Paddy that we've known and expect over the last 10, 15 years, which is you know a massive difference maker for this team. With that being said, this is the volatility of tournament play. You know, there's only so many games, and you know guys will come in with different form. Why he's shooting it short at the moment, who knows? You know, I guess he doesn't have the excuse of tired legs. Um, you know, you, you come in off quite a break, and you wouldn't expect him to miss so many shots short. But uh, you know, I think if you're looking over a larger sample, we know what Paddy will do in a Boomer's uniform. You know, we, everyone has a lot of faith in that, but. It is a little bit scary, and I think it has not been spoken about quite enough just how poorly you shot over these warm-up games. You know, these are, uh, you know, he's taken some tough shots. He's taken some shots that he'd usually make and hit. Uh, there's definitely a transition period for him figuring out his spots, playing off of Josh Giddy. But I think that Paddy's actually really suited to playing off another playmaker. You know, Paddy you know, by virtue of his size as, you know, being considered a point guard throughout his career. But ultimately, he's always been almost like an undersized two guard. You know, he's someone that has, you know, played as a spot-up guy, moves relentlessly off the ball. And we have seen glimpses of success with this dynamic. You know, I think of some of, you know, Giddy's passes to a cutting patty. Um, you know, they've been some of the best players of these warm-up games. Um, so there's definitely some some area for that to succeed. And I think that dynamic can be successful. Um, with that being said, you know, Paddy's shot creation off the dribble is something that only he really brings on this roster. And we've seen how that's bailed us out time and time again, you know, in a boomer's uniform. But I think he's going to be have to be a little bit more judicious about, you know, the time and place to sort of force those shots a little bit more. Um, because, you know, we do have the luxury of some more options on this team now. And, you know, it might take him out of his comfort zone a little bit. Ultimately, you know, I watch the games. I think these are shots that Paddy would usually hit at a large rate. Um, he has not been shy about trying to shoot his way out of the slump during this period, which is the right thing to do. You know, he needs to find his form. And, you know, the reality is that Paddy, you know, whether he continues to shoot like this throughout the World Cup or whether he finds his form and is one of the top scorers in the tournament like he is most times, he is going to be one of the make or break factors for this team. And, you know, we're going to ride or die with him as one of the main shot options. So we just have to cross our fingers, find he hopes his form. And, um, yeah, I think there's potential for great success in the role that he has on this current team. Yeah, I wouldn't say he's taking shots that you'd, like, hold your hands up in front of your face and go, oh, mate, what are you doing? Like... Mm. We, we've seen Paddy in every tournament he's played. He, he takes a couple of contested mid-rangers that maybe most of the players you'd be like, oh, I don't know about that, but, you know, Paddy Mills gets away with it. I do wonder, though, 
And I guess the main one game that I guess should bring cause for concern is the loss to Brazil. A, because I think it's not unfair to say that Australia's probably a more talented team than Brazil, a lot deeper, but more the matter in which they lost. And I think it highlighted the two key weaknesses on the squad, which we'll get to a little bit more in depth as we go along. But mm. we've spoken about the, uh, the lack of size, but also, and Paddy was a big part of this, maybe the, the lack of consistent outside shooting, because you look at the roster and outside of Chris Golding, um, Paddy Mills and, and maybe Joe Ingalls, who I don't think has had a great shooting form for the Boomers for a while now. It's it's a roster that relies a lot more on athleticism and slashing rather than actually shooting. And we saw early in the Brazil game, they couldn't hit ice if they fell off the Titanic. So I don't know how concerned you are about the lack of shooting in the squad. Yeah, it's it's funny because on paper, we do have a lot of above average shooters. Um, you know, if you look at the percentages, guys like Ingalls, obviously, you know, a knockdown shooter throughout his NBA career. Josh Green too, I forgot. Josh Green, he's shot the ball really well in the NBA this season. Um, and he's looked pretty good in these warm-up games, shooting the ball as well. I have some faith there. Exum's been shooting it really well in Europe. Paddy, you know what he does, shooting the ball. Um, and then, of course, CG's on the squad for that very reason. Even guys like Jack White shot 40% in the G League this season. Um, and, you know, someone like Joe Reith is a very capable stretch five. So on paper, we have a lot of shooting options and we have shooting at all positions. We have a lot of flexibility to account for say the non-shooters, but the less prolific shooters, guys like Josh Giddy. I don't think he, you know, for all the great play that he's had, hasn't shot the ball with great confidence from outside during these games. And that's fine. We can work around it. But it just goes to show how pivotal those shooting outcomes will be. Um, you know, Josh is not someone to knock down a lot of threes, but he can generate a lot of good threes for other players. And, you know, that's why everyone says time and time again, a guy like Chris Goulding, you just can't leave off this squad. You need a knockdown shooter. And, um, you know, I think we have the capacity to do that. But with that being said, looking beyond the percentages, a lot of these guys that have shot really well, they're not necessarily highly dynamic shooters and they're not high-volume shooters. Um, you know, a guy like Thibault, you know, shoots the ball really well at the FIBA level. I think the FIBA line suits him really well with his five form. Five. Against five, he Sudan. carried us. Um, but, you know, a lot of these guys are just spot-up guys. Same with Jack White, you know, percentages are great, but is he a guy that commands a ton of gravity as a shooter? Not necessarily. So, you know, it is a question mark, but I think we do have the pieces on paper to, to make it work for sure. Yeah, it's an interesting point you raise about commanding that gravity because even someone like Nick Kay, a good shooter, but mm. he's not someone that I guess defences are rushing to close down like at all costs take away the three and I think that's probably the level at which Australia is going to struggle or the level that which we're talking about here outside of Chris Golding and Paddy Mills there's no one else and you know Josh Green from the corners because I think he shot 50 percent from the corners he had a really ridiculous Mm. season at Dallas but a lot of these guys can make an open three no doubt but I guess it's that question of the gravity that they command and our defences, because I think it's pretty well known right now, and it's such an atypical squad to Boomer's years gone past, where this squad's known more for its athleticism and attacking the rim, which sounds wild to say, considering the squads we've had in the past. So I don't know if defences are going to be rushing out to these guys thinking, oh, we'll just, like, this is the lesser of two evils. They can make the three, and maybe they get hot, maybe things equalise, but I think the level of athleticism this squad has 
the three is probably going to be the avenue that teams will try and make us beat them from, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. And I think the, the wider point about this team is that we're not going to be an absolutely amazing offensive team. I think we're a team that will have to generate our offense from our defense. You know, we're going to have to maintain that pillar of defense first. Um, and it's going to look a little bit different to years past. We obviously have a smaller team this year. We're going to have to do it in different ways. But, you know, I think Gorgon is really focused on that uh, primitive pressure and pressure on the wings. Um, and, you know, you look at a guy like Matisse Thibel and his ability to uh, really throw a spanner in the works of opposition offenses and, you know, generate those steals and blocks that lead to easy scores down the other end. That's something that we will really need to focus on is being able to generate easy looks for ourselves. And I think it will be in a different way to teams past, but you look at the boomers of the past and, you know, we haven't necessarily had those dynamic offensive scorers, but we've utilized our passing and, you know, playmaking from our bigs and things like that to generate easy scores off cuts, you know, high quality outside looks. And, it's going to be a little bit different in the half court this year. It's a little bit more heliocentric with a guy like Josh Giddy, you know, playing the two-man game or having the ball in his hands a bit more. Um, so I hope we don't deviate too far away from that, you know, really pass-oriented offensive game. Yeah, I think we started to see a little bit of a shift in the style. If you think back to 2016, and you mentioned that the playmaking from the bigs, that was some of the best passing I've ever seen at any level of basketball with, Bogut and Baines in the high post, you know, Joe Ingles, Delhi had the tournament of his life, Paddy Mills, obviously just a really ridiculous spread out offense. Everyone was running. It was almost like watching a really like minor version of the prime San Antonio Spurs. But mm. I think then if you fast forward to Tokyo and it looked like the team was kind of, and they still meddled, so it's great, but it looked like at times, especially earlier on in their campaign, they were struggling to, I guess, find the right balance. Partly because I think they hadn't played with a guy like Matisse Thibel before, who's clearly, I think, one of the most athletic guys we've ever produced. I say produced, you know. Yeah. <laughs> fortunately, he lived here for a few years. Um, and there'd be occasions where I'd be watching us against, say, Argentina, and Fireball's head and shoulder, the best head and shoulders, the best athlete on the court. And he'd be out in transition. And there was just that little hesitation to pass it to him. And I think it was just kind of working through some kinks and some, some glitches in how they were getting used to playing at that faster up tempo style. Not that they wouldn't run in the past, but they probably didn't generate as many opportunities to run as they were starting to do last Olympics. Whereas if you look at the warrant games now, this defense with Matisse Thibel, with Josh Green, Dante Exum, Jack White, uh, Dyson Daniels, when he gets on, I don't think he'll play many minutes, but when he does get on, that's his role as well. Uh, this team's going to be running a lot more in the, than what they would have been used to in the past. And I think that's where someone like Giddy becomes really important because he's not afraid to make the passes. And we've seen some passes from Giddy where his teammates, like they were too good for them. Like, mm. they, the, like they'd be behind three defenders and then the ball would just appear there and it would go out of bounds. And it's like just getting used to playing that kind of style. So I think they've made a lot of strides from the Olympics, which is why I'm really excited about our defense. Yeah, that, that's what's going to carry us this whole tournament. I, I have no doubt there's going to be games where the offense dries up and it's not going to be pretty. But if we can lock down on the defensive end, then that's going to really keep us in games. And then that's when you rely on guys like Paddy to get in the heater or uh, you know go to different options like Josh Giddy, like Josh Green. 
um, and then hopefully we can grind those games out. I didn't even say Xavier Cooks. He's probably going to be a really key defender as a small five as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's obviously been spoken about a lot. We had Jock Landau go down and um, the different dynamic that that creates on this roster. Um, Spoken about the small ball a lot, and I think small ball is a fantastic option, but it's not necessarily something you want as your status quo. You know, I think with only one traditional big being Jock Reith now, and Jock not necessarily the most physically imposing guy despite his um, stature as well, um, it really backs us into a corner in terms of having to play this style of play. And sometimes it's going to be fantastic, but sometimes I think having that traditional size is really key and really pivotal in FIBA play. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. I do think we've seen us adapt to that really well. And I think having some fantastic perimeter defense is a really key element to that. It actually indirectly affects uh, opposition points in the paint in the sense that if you can stop guys at the point of attack, you know, those guys are not going to get to the rim, you know, with greater frequency. And if you can disrupt playmakers on the ball, then it's going to be harder for them to get the ball to their bigs as well. I think France, the France game was a fantastic example of a team that is immensely big. Um, You know, obviously Rudy Gobert being a prime example of someone that could potentially, not that he is a a dominant post scorer or someone they're going to throw the ball to per se, but our ability to really swarm with high defensive activity from multiple positions um, you know, you saw even guys like Josh Giddy just getting a hand on a ball, um, you know, before that shot goes up in the paint and swiping at the ball, um, forcing the ball out of those guys' hands. That's the way that we're going to account for our lack of size. Um, and if we can really keep up that pressure throughout the tournament, then we probably can get away with small ball in a lot of instances. And, you know, you look at guys like Xavier Cooks, like Jack White, yes, they're not traditional fives. But they do offer some great rim protection for their size. Xavier Cooks is a great shot blocker. Jack White, despite being listed at 6'7", 6'8", is someone that is fantastically strong. He's amazing um, rotating over and blocking shots at the rim. And both guys are fantastic rebounders as well. So there's going to be some matchups where they're a bit physically uh, out of their depth. And I remember one um, one possession in the French game, Nick Kay was on a switch with uh, Rudy Gobert and, you know, Rudy just took him to town. He, you know, he just backed him down, backed him down. And Nick Kay, for all of his fundamental prowess, was just, he just looked just that bit too small for him. Um, and I think there's going to be instances of that. But ultimately, I think we, um, you know, we switch it up. We play aggressive, swarming defense. We turn defense into offense. And I think that's going to get us across the line. And I think where that small ball actually works in our advantage is on the offensive end in the rebounding because both Jack White and Xavier Cooks, you mentioned their rebounding. I think both of them are elite offensive rebounders. I, think I haven't looked at the box score because, you know, it's frustratingly hard to find for these warm-up games. But I, I think Xavier Cooks had, you know, three or four offensive rebounds at least. Jack White kept a lot of extra possessions alive. And that's going to be really important because there's going to be times where there's a lot of offensive rebounds to be had just with the, the way this roster is constructed and there's going to be the ebbs and flows of the shooting, as we've said. So I guess that's a really nice marriage and a way that we can mask that shooting inefficiency that might strike us at times is by running those, I guess, smaller lineups and letting Xavier Cooks, who for some reason is just impossibly hard to box out, uh, or Jack White crash the glass. And even Josh Giddy as well, one of the best rebounding guards in the NBA. So I think that's a really 
interesting point of difference that that small lineup that will run has, especially like n- none of our bigs are tremendous rebounders anyway. I think if you put them against like most bigs in a vacuum, but offensively, I think that's going to be a really interesting way for us moving forward. Yeah, and it's really funny because, you know, the discourse around this team selection has been that Xavier Cooks and Jack White have been the afterthought. They've been these guys that are really on the cusp of the roster um, and, you know, largely inconsequential in the scheme of things. You know, they might be called upon in a pinch, which is true. You know, in this tournament, you know, you're probably only going to run a rotation of eight, maybe nine guys, um, you know, across these games. Um, And then guys will be brought in circumstantially. But, you know, even if it is only an eight or nine man rotation, those guys, I could see one of or a combination of the two of them having a really massive part to play in this tournament. I think every single time they've stepped on the court during these warm-up games, they've shown that what they bring to the table is instrumental for this group. Um, You know, you talk about Xavier's, you know, activity on the glass. And I think of how many times he... Um, you know, saved a possession with a, you know, an offensive tip or things like that. Those little one percenters are going to make the difference for this team. And as you said, the the size that we have on the perimeter is is also going to help counteract that lack of traditional size because a guy like Josh Giddy, probably Oklahoma City's best rebounder last season. So you know, having those big guards is really going to help offset that as well. You mentioned Jack White being an afterthought. I found it quite interesting that it was revealed that he was going to be the guy that was cut uh, if Jock Landale didn't get injured. Um, Did that surprise you? It surprised me how candid Brian Gorgian was about it. Um, You know, it's very transparent for us to hear. With that being said, you know, I I think, you know, Jack was one of those guys that was on the cusp there. And, you know, I I don't know who else it could have been, if not for Xavier. Um, Dyson Daniels, obviously, you know, a little bit of an unusual one as well in the sense that, you know, he comes in with a lot of pedigree. I remember Jock Landau talking him up as, you know, a potential starting level guy for this Boomers team um, when he spoke once on the roster and the camp that they've been having. But, you know, Dyson's someone that really hasn't found his role within these warm-up games. Um, you know, obviously amazing to, to blood him into the system early and, you know, you don't want to piss him off like, you know, Josh Giddy two years ago or, you know, someone like Ben Simmons before that that and alienate them from the system. So it's great that he's there. But having watched the games, I don't think that Dyson has really found his offensive role on this team. Um, with that being said, super positionally versatile, you know, can play two to four, switch on to anybody. And I think Gorgian just likes the relief of knowing that, you know, if I have to call upon someone at the end of the bench, I can plug this guy in. He's going to fit into the defensive scheme, which is, you know, his priority. And, you know, whether he has to guard the one, guard the two, guard the three, whatever it may be, Dyson will be able to get it done on that end of the floor and then they'll make it work offensively. So um, I can see why he was selected, but I thought that Dyson, you know, on merit, on based on what we saw in the warm-up games, that would have been a very valid cut as well. So, um not surprising to hear Jack's name mentioned there, but, you know, I think um, we're very fortunate to have him on this roster now based on what we've seen. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And I think going into the warm games, I had locked myself into Dyson being a massive part of this squad. And maybe part of that was being sucked into like all the PR that the Boomers were doing around Dyson as a new face into the squad. But I don't think it was unfair to say 
as much as maybe Jack White played himself onto the roster that Dyson almost played himself off. Just he looked quite timid, I think, especially on offense. I think defensively he was fine, but he didn't really assert himself in my mind against opposition that maybe he should be looking to do that against. He struggled with his shot, kind of didn't really have a role on offense. Um, So yeah, I agree. I thought, you know, when people say, oh, like Jack White was the obvious cut, I'm thinking maybe it was, but I wouldn't have been surprised if, you know, if everyone was fit that, that Dyson had found its way off the roster. But I think also the flip side of that is, and every team does this, like you plan for an eventual meeting with America, right? That's just the way that basketball internationally works. And having as many athletic wing defenders as you can is only a positive. And I think that was probably the reason why Dyson was never really in any serious danger to get cut. Yeah. And again, you look at the difference that two years has made for Josh Giddy now, I, I think, you know, Josh is probably in a different place and maybe a bit more ready to contribute two years ago than Dyson is right now. Uh, but with that being said, Dyson is going to be a cornerstone in this program for the next decade or two. So having him as a part of the team, yes, I think he can contribute in a pinch. Um, but yeah, just having him a part of the program and, and getting a feel for that culture, you know, in two years time, Who's to say where Paddy Mills will be at? Who's to say where Joe Ingles will be mm-hmm. at? You know, we've seen how they've spoken about the culture and, you know, impressed the culture upon this group through the camp. That's something you want all these young guys to experience and be able to, you know, to carry the baton into the next generation. So uh, no qualms with Dyson selection. I think, um, you know, he has his merit on the court and I think it, it will do wonders for him in the long term and for the Boomers program. And I guess one wrap-up note on, because we've mentioned it ad nauseum, the big man depth. Mm. I do think the lack of quote-unquote size that this roster has has maybe been slightly overplayed when you look at the rest of the tournament as a whole. And we'll get to, we'll get to the group that the Boomers are in in a second, but if you look at a lot of the rosters, there's not a huge amount of, I guess, traditional dominant big men. Like, there's obviously no... There's no Jokic. There's no Joel Embiid for France as a, another weird nationalisation case. Like, there's been a few. Um, Rudy Gobert, obviously, is a dominant centre in the FIBA game, but, you know, someone that the Boomers have shown, they have the methodology to, to be able to handle him in small pinches. And I don't think there's many big men at this tournament that will beat you outright. I think uh, I was speaking to someone about this and they mentioned that Carl Anthony Towns might be the best pure big man at the World Cup. And that might be true, but if you look at the way he plays, he's mostly a, an external threat on offense. He's not... Like, he obviously is very good in the post, but I wouldn't say that that's his main form of scoring. He loves stepping outside. He's quoted as saying that he thinks he's the best shooting big man of all time. And I think there's a bloke in Germany that might have something to say about that, but... The fact is there's not a lot of, I think, interior domination at this tournament. So I think the worry about the boomers like a size, while valid for certain aspects, I don't think it's going to be a death knell. Mm. Yeah, I think the the toughest cover um, defensively when you look at the teams that we're playing and, and, you know, I guess this sort of segues into the group that we're, you know, going to be facing is almost like these, the big fours, you know, you know, you look at our pool, the toughest guys we're going to be facing 
Uh, Larry Markinen in Finland. You know, he's a he's a guy. You know, we'll play the four, we'll play the five. You know, in fever play. Um, but you know, again, someone that you know will work both inside and out, and you know, you got to have both the mobility and the size to compete with someone like that. Similarly, Franz Wagner, um, Germany. You know, six ten. Again, someone that operates primarily on the perimeter. He's a guy that can you know operate as the ball handler and pick and roll. You know, do do those sort of things. Yes, there are some sides that we're going to have to compete with. Like you look at Germany, you know, they have guys like Mo Wagner, you know, 6'10", 6'11". Uh, you know, Daniel Theus is only 6'8", but he's a bruiser. You know, he's a really physical player. And they have an, another big 6'11", Johannes Wagner as well, who's, a again, more of a stretch big, really. So I think we do have the personnel to handle these sorts of players. Uh, I think, again... You look at those guys like your Wagner's, like your Larry Markinens, and you know if Japan had a full squad, we'd be talking about Rui Hashimura as well as another four. This is where guys like Jack White, guys like Xavier Cooks, guys like Nick Kay are going to be the really key defensive piece when you're talking about an on-ball stopper. Um, you know, do they have the physical qualities and the defensive acumen? to really contain a guy like that. Now, obviously, it's more than the one-on-one game. You know, you have to sort of game plan for those guys as a team. But, you know, I look at someone like Jack White who has, you know, fantastic defensive qualities. He's someone that has the the burly upper body and the, the strength, the size, and the movement capabilities to stay and contest someone like those guys. Um, Xavier Cooks obviously has great mobility and length to deter shots and, and play guys out on the perimeter while matching their size. Um, again, I think those guys are going to be really pivotal in some of those matchups. Yeah, sorry, I was just scrolling through the uh, some of the other teams. Um, I guess we'll segue this nicely into a little bit of a team-by-team team breakdown in the Boomers group. So Group E, if you're not familiar, we're playing Finland, Germany, and, and Japan. Finland's the first game, uh, 6 p.m. Friday night, Eastern time. I want to say without looking it up. Um, I'll be honest. Looking at this Finland squad, I know Lowry. That's about that's about it. No disrespect to our Finnish brothers and sisters that may or may not be listening. Um, they've got a couple of guys in the NCAA system as well, but really, I think this team lives and dies with with Lowry. I don't think that's a particularly controversial take. It's not. Um, yeah, the only other name that I could probably list off for you is is Alex Murphy, and the only other and the only reason I would know that is because he was an obscure Chicago Bulls draft pick a good decade ago or something like that. <laughs> stick in the league, but uh, name definitely caught my eye. Uh, American Finnish player, but uh, yeah, he Lowry is an absolute superstar in the in the Phoebe game, and he has been prior to his breakout with the Utah Jazz. You know, even when people were sort of doubting his. Uh, NBA capabilities and what his upside looked like in that capacity, he was still dominating with the Finnish national team. I remember, again, as a Bulls fan, we saw him play for Finland not long or even prior to him being drafted by the Bulls. And he looked absolutely fantastic. He was doing everything out on the court. I think the game really suits him. And he's only grown as a player since then. So, yes, I'm not too familiar with the supporting cast. I'm sure they're decent role players in their own right. But this team is going to live and die by Larry Markkinen. And I say that, you know, with a bit of fear in my eyes, I think Larry is going to be really formidable. Um, I have no doubt he's going to have a game against us. And, you know, hopefully we, hopefully they're one-dimensional enough that we can game plan against that. And 
you know, sort of let Lowry have his to some extent and still win the ball game. But he's the sort of player that, you know, really scares you no matter what the team is. You know, if he's on your opposition, um, you know, there's there's always the chance he's just going to go off and, and cause an upset. Yeah, I, I guess it's a similar approach to Slovenia in the bronze medal game last year. And I think Slovenia is probably a deeper team than Finland, but obviously would still a... And I'm not saying Larry's on the same level as Luca before I get angry um, replies, but like it, it's very much a Lowry and you know surrounded by role players. And sometimes when you play a team like that, you just have to like it's almost more beneficial for you to shut down everyone else rather than trying so hard to shut down the main guy because then you can maybe let the other guys get hot and then you know a guy like Larry's quality would still have his you know 20 25 anyway. But maybe if you let him get thirty, but if you just focus on playing straight up, that's going to be the the way to win. I just wonder who on this team guards Larry primarily because we've seen in the warm ups, and I was going to ask you this, I forgot, but it's probably a good time to bring it up anyway. In the last warm ups, we've seen a starting lineup of Josh Giddy, Paddy Mills, Josh Green at the three, with Nick K and Joe Breath as I guess twin bigs like Nick K's a four or five kind of guy, probably more of a four now, but like, I guess, A, what are your thoughts on that lineup? And B, do you think they make a change to guard Larry or they just kind of run with it like that? Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. I think in some respect, the Finnish team actually play to our small ball a little bit in the sense that it actually sort of suits us a little bit. Uh, you know, if, if you look at the starting lineup, I, I haven't watched, Finland's games up to this point, I imagine they run Lowry at the five. When I think about Lowry going up against Joe Reith, I feel like Lowry has such an advantage as a ball handler and his mobility in transition that Lowry might just burn you up uh, a little bit offensively. You know, he's someone that, you know, handles the ball a bit, he'll grab and go, he'll do all these things. And that might really cause trouble for us. But then you think of a guy like, you know, maybe Xavier Cooks or even Jack Wyatt, um, you know, I think Cooks in particular with his, his size and length actually matches up really well physically with him. Um, and with his motor, we'll be able to keep up with him up and down the court and, and defend him out on the perimeter. So I think the fact that we're forced to play these guys in this position actually works really well in this situation. Um, but regardless of who you throw at him, uh, it is going to be a tough matchup. And if, even if you've got more traditional guys, say Larry's playing at the four and you've got Nick Kay there, you know, Larry is someone that can take smaller guys into the post as well and really work them that way. So it is a really tough matchup. You know, I do think Larry's going to get his to some extent, but I think, you know, if I had to select someone, I think Xavier Cooks would probably be the best matchup for him. Yeah, agreed. And Larry is the kind of guy who can also, if you put Nick Howe on him, you can probably not only take him in the post, but also just beat him off the dribble. Mm. And then you look at Joel Breath, who has had a, uh, some foul issues in the past as well. And considering the lack of depth behind Reef, that could be a, maybe they just don't even risk it. Maybe they just don't, maybe they swap and put Nick K on. Look, this is all hypotheticals. We don't even know how they're going to line up. Maybe one of these other guys that we don't know ends up starting at mm-hmm. center. So, because, you know, Larry, I don't think he's ever played center professionally in the NBA anyway. So, I know Fever's is a different ball game entirely, but maybe they do. Just say screw it, we'll just play to Larry's strengths and we'll just beast him against one of your smaller guys. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, no, it'd be interesting. Uh Germany, a few more people on this roster that I do know. They've got a host of NBA talent. 
uh, people that have played in the NBA. Obviously, I think the the two key threats on this German team, though, are uh, Franz Wagner, a young star for the Orlando Magic, and maybe someone who's had a little bit of a mean career the last few years in the NBA, but Dennis Schroeder, whenever he puts on the German jersey, he just absolutely lights it up. Yeah, Paddy's not the only guy that turns into a different player in FIBA play, and I think Dennis Schroeder really has the keys, has the green light for Germany and, you know, really benefits as a result of that. You know, he's had some fantastic warm-up games in his own right for Germany so far and, you know, that'll be a really interesting matchup, the two of those guys going together. Um, You know, I think he, you know, is the head of the offense when you look at the perimeter talent on this German team. Um, But, you know, it starts and ends with Franz Wagner, who we know is an emerging, you know, star in the NBA. Again, a really tough cover and and someone we're going to have to throw some different looks at defensively um and again they have some very decent size on the interior and it'll be interesting to see how we handle that now again daniel tyus only six eight but the guy plays hard he plays physical you know he um you know will really crash the glass and i think because he's not massive i think you know we have those similar qualities to match up with that um they've got a few other six ten six eleven guys my understanding is most of those guys play pick and pop out on the perimeter a little bit more. Um, but nonetheless, they are a bigger team than us. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And then some other guys with NBA experience like Isaac Bonger as well um, and some, some good depth with European talent. So Germany, probably the toughest team in our pool. And, you know, that will really be the benchmark for us. Yeah, and obviously a team that we're not unfamiliar with having played them in the pool stages at the Olympics. I'm uh, just looking at some of their bigs and Mo Wagner, we know primarily as an outside player um not afraid to mix it up be a bit of a shithouse you know try and start some stuff uh and then daniel tice i think primarily in the nba has been uh a pick and pop kind of guy and then johannes boitman as you mentioned earlier uh shot 36 percent from the at the olympics last at the last olympics from three um at least according to google so (laughs) that's not my own stat sheet Mm-hmm. Uh, but definitely, I think that the toughest overall team, and I think Dennis Schroeder, in terms of the FIBA, I know he's probably not the best player we'll play against, but for, in terms of the FIBA competition and what he's put on the record, um, a really key matchup for us. But again, someone that like Josh Green is made for, and I know he's listed to start at three, but I can imagine that Australia will have stretches where they'll just put Green on Schroeder and see if anyone else can beat them. Yeah, again, really suited for that. You know, we have so many things we can throw at Schroeder. Um, you know, in terms of the, you know, one-on-one matchups, guys like Green, guys like Daniels, guys like Exum, all very capable of stifling him with a bit more positional size as, as well as the length and athleticism. So um, I think we're in a pretty good position to, you know, not nullify him, but at least, you know, make him inefficient and uh, cause him to have a subpar game. I'm interested to see how we deal with Franz, though, because obviously a a great first two years in the NBA might be a bit of a weak spot in our defense. Yeah, and it's something that, you know, I somewhat naively keep pining for, you know, Ben Simmons' inclusion one of these days because Ben is the ultimate guy that, you know, can guard the 3-4-5. You know, he's so perfectly suited to that and would, um, you know, fill that void so nicely for the Boomers. Unfortunately, we don't have that. Um, so, you know, we, we have guys that will match up on them, but I, I do think it's going to be really tough. You know, those guys, whether it's FIBA, whether it's the NBA, 
you know, they're so unique and, you know, the sort of players we're seeing evolve these days, you know, they can handle the ball at 6'10", 6'11", so unique and so hard to know how to uh, defend, you know, that sort of inverted offense in that way that, uh, you know, it's something that we're going to have to figure out as we go. So no confidence in Matisse? Matisse is great, but, you know, it's interesting because I heard a comment from Gorgian and he compared Matisse Thibault with Josh Green. And he, he mentioned that Matisse, fantastic off the ball, whereas Josh Green's more of an on-ball stopper. You know, he used that phrase, I think, dally on steroids. Yeah. Um, in the sense that, you know, it's, it's that ball pressure, but with some more size and athleticism. So I think... You know, Thibault's someone that's a bit more of a free safety, you know, not necessarily an individual stopper, though he can, um, you know, chase guys around screens, block jumpers, do all that stuff. I think if you're trying to find a key matchup um, and lock them down, I think Josh Green's our number one guy for that. Yeah, it's a fair point. I think Thibault is a, a bit more susceptible at getting, you know, beaten back door, you know, just a little lapse in concentration. Mm. Yeah, yeah, very different players. And, and, you know, it goes to show that, you know, you can be a strong defender in many different ways. Um, but yeah, Matisse, you know, is at his best when you're just letting him cause havoc um, and, you know, just, you know, keeping his eyes peeled and, you know, trying to, you know, play those passing names and things like that. Uh, and then finally, the last team in the group, Japan. Unfortunately, they are without Rui Hachimura. Um, I don't recall the reason why. Maybe was it just injury or yeah Rui's had a lot of different things going on with the national team you know I think it's a lot of pressure um for a guy like Rui um playing for Japan but we know how good he is you know when he has played for them so you know I think it was Olgan Ulrich that said that he showed uh Gorgian a you know a, a memo of uh Rui Hashimura's exclusion from the team and and Brian's face lit up a little bit you know knowing that he wasn't going to be a part of the roster um, because he is, you know, Japan's best player. You know, again, a four guy that's really tough to contain. Um, you know, it makes Japan simply the the weakest of this group. That's not to say that they don't have some some good pieces. You know, there's going to be some players that we're familiar with. Obviously, Yuta Watanabe from the NBA, great player. Um, Yuta Baba that we're familiar with through the NBL. You go back a bit further, um, Mikado Hajima. You had a little cameo here. And Keisai Tomonaga, who, you know, some people might remember from, you know, one of the early qualifying periods when we versed Japan, I think he went off for a 20 or 30 piece, um, undersized, but just a prolific outside shooter. So they have some really fun players. I don't think, you know, they should stand a chance against, you know, our roster, our personnel, but, you know, I don't think they're a complete pushover either. That was the game Japan won, right? Did they beat us or am I making things up now? Uh... I actually don't remember. I think we we ended up pulling it out, but they definitely gave us a run for our money. Um, Case I went absolutely up. I'd like, yeah, I'm pretty sure like 30 points or something like that. Um, but yeah, some some of the other guys, yeah. What, again, Watanabe, a great player, but predominantly a shooter and a standstill mm-hmm. shooter. Um, you know, Barber's an interesting one just because he is a little bit unique. He's a really, really athletic guard. Uh, can shoot the ball with loves attacking the rim. But I did want to touch on Japan's point guard, Tagashi. I think had some summer leagues with Dallas or might even a 10 day. I'm not sure. But, you know, at all of five foot six, just, um, I mean, 
Actually, only just the shortest guy on the roster too, because they've got another guy, Kawamura, who's five foot eight. So, um, at least th- this is one roster that we won't have to, you know, be bemoaning the lack of size we do have. But I, I do like Tagashi as a playmaker. Somehow gets it done at his size. I've watched him a couple of times, both for Dallas in, you know, preseason play, and then obviously when he plays for Japan as well. Another guy that just turns into something else. Um, but yeah, I think this is a team that we shouldn't have too many issues with. No, I think, um, you know, Tagashi, all, all these Japanese guys, really fun players, really fantastic guys. But, you know, when you look at just how substantial our size is on the perimeter, I think that's going to be really disruptive for them. And, you know, I don't think Japan have the size inside to punish us in that regard either. So, look, it, it should be a pretty straightforward game. Obviously, no gimmies, you know, in these tournaments. But, you know, that's the game that, you know, you should expect to win. And, you know, I don't think... You know, if you're if you're game planning, you know, through, through this tournament and putting together a team to try and beat Japan, then you know, your sights aren't quite set high enough. You know, this is the sort of game you just need to pull out and and um, move forward with. Yeah, and I have made stuff up. We beat Japan by sixteen in the first qualifier we played against them, and then by forty six in the second one. Oof. Yeah, yeah. No, we did pretty well, but uh, Tominaga was definitely the standout in that game. I definitely remember his performance. Uh, and let's just move without trying to, you know, jinx anything. I'll just quickly look ahead to some further stages. So Australia's in Group E. So assuming Australia somehow uh, progresses through that group, they'll be matched up with Group F in the knockouts in the first round. That group has Slovenia, Cape Verde, Georgia, and Venezuela. Three teams we are familiar with from various portions. I won't spend too much time on Cape Verde. Uh, Georgia, we played just the other day, closed doors. From all reports, a really scratchy end to that game, actually, and had a couple of people a little bit worried when they saw, obviously, there was no footage, but some uh, the Boomers were just covering some scores every now and again, and I think at one point the Boomers were up 20-odd, and then they fast-forward to the end of the game, and they'd won by five. So, you know, George's got a couple of NBA guys, Mamu Kalashvili from the Spurs, I want to say. Um, Venezuela, we've seen them in Australia, the warm-ups, uh, again, like a team that if we somehow come up against them should handle comfortably. But a potential matchup with Slovenia, assuming one of us doesn't win the group, uh, could be an interesting one after the uh, bronze medal rematch. Yeah, again, it's one of those ones where, you know, I don't care who Luka Doncic is playing with. Um, that guy scares me. <laughs> and, you know, we, we pulled it out last time. You know, we have the upper hand on them. And, um, you know, I, I would hope and expect that, you know, we get a similar outcome, but you just never know. You know, that guy is so prolific, such a fantastic player. Um, you know, you really got to throw the kitchen sink at a guy like that and, and hope it's enough. Yeah, pretty similar roster to the Olympics as well. Um, I can't remember if Zoran Dragic was in there, but Mike Toby, a naturalized guy. Um, Prepolich, good shooter. Yeah, just a, a tough roster, but again, show them we can handle them. And it assumes that one of us comes second in the group anyway, so might not even happen, but, and the one I want to talk about the most, unless I've misread this bracket, which is very easy to do because it's not the cleanest thing I've ever seen in the world. Should the Boomers make the semifinals, that that is the earliest time that we can face the uh, United States, who I have gone on record in the past, in this cycle, as saying, uh, once their World Cup score was announced, is going, you know what, it's beatable. It's very beatable. Um, this is the probably what the youngest team they've ever put together, the least experienced FIBA team they've ever put together. 
Um, that's not to say that, you know, they're, you know, super beatable, you know, on paper, they're obviously still the most talented team going around. Um, but you know, it's, it's one that you can definitely win. Um, so yeah, you know, I, th- I think a players like, you know, I know Anthony Edwards has been a key piece for him. Um, you know, some of these other younger guys and extremely talented, but I necessarily trust them, um, you know, to make the right decisions and to play the right way. Um, you know, it just feels like a bit of a haphazardly thrown together roster, um, you know, which, you know, has been increasingly the case over the last, you know, five plus years for these USA teams. Um, you know, and I don't think it's until they really get a, you know, a shock and, and really realize that they're, you know, mailing it in and paying the price for it um, that we're going to see, you know, USA really get the best commitments and the best rosters put together for these tournaments. So fingers crossed. Um, we've beaten before. We can do it again. And um, hopefully we don't burst them too soon, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if you saw the reports, but that they apparently lost a couple of scrimmages against their select team, uh, which cannot be a good good sign because that select team was led by two Pistons and we know how good they were last year. <laughs> yeah, look, it, it does inspire a little bit of confidence. You know, I still uh, don't get too ahead of myself because, you know, there's always a chance to play, play the USA and they just blow you out by 40. But... Um, yep. Yeah, definitely as beatable as ever. You know, I don't think anyone necessarily looks at them as like this unbeatable pinnacle um, in the world game anymore in terms of what they're putting to the table. Um, so, yeah, look, as, as far as the Boomers window is concerned and you look at the crossover and, you know, our ability to have, you know, the the traditional guys, the, the legacy guys on this Boomers team and the young guys as well, this is probably our best intersection of the young and the old, you know, playing together. And if we can figure it out and, and get those guys playing optimally together, this could be our best opportunity to, you know, not just get a medal, but get a gold medal, um, you know, particularly with, you know, teams that the U.S. are throwing out and stuff like that as well. So, um, yeah, we need to capitalize on it. Yeah. And disappointingly, as a, you know, an Italian, when Australia fails, Paolo Bancaro on Team USA after he promised on draft night when he got drafted that he was going to play for Italy. So that one hurts. Um, But I do want to touch on Anthony Edwards because I think he's the guy that's been getting all the press and all the plaudits in this USA team's lead up. Um, Had 30 odd, I think against Germany the other day has got a lot of people excited. People are now calling him like, you know, the next face of the NBA. That's how good he's going at the moment. And I look up and down this roster there's a lot of really, really good role players on this team. Like, you know, Mikael Bridges, one of the best defending guards in the league. Jalen Brunson and Halliburton, two of the better point guards in the league. Walker Kessler had a great rookie season as a shot blocker. Bobby Portis, a key piece on a championship level team. Jaron Jackson got the deep boy. Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart. You know, all these guys, Paolo, Austin Reeves, I just said the whole roster. Cam Johnson, there's one I forgot. But, um... Edwards, to me, is like the one guy on this team or the guy that I think has the most scope to explode and be the closest thing that the USA team in this iteration has seen to like an Olympic mellow style tournament, right? Yeah, yep. Has all the talent in the world and, you know, has the keys in this situation as well. I think, you know, you make a really great point that, you know, for all the potential flaws this team might have, they don't necessarily have too many cooks in the kitchen, you know, which can often be the case, you know, with this USA team, you know, all these high volume guys, they actually have, 
a nice little hierarchy to the players that they're bringing in, guys that know how to play a role, play it well, and and play together. Um, you know, I think that's going to be really key for them. Um, and then guys like Anthony Edwards, guys like Brandon Ingram to an extent as well, are you know going to take the helm as as those lead shot creators, and the rest will follow suit. So, you know, we're in a great position. We have the sort of NBA defenders, as you mentioned earlier, you know, that can really suit up with those guys. But that's not to say that those guys can't still go get theirs regardless. You know, they're such high-level players, um, you know, and give guys like Josh Green, like Matisse Thibel, headaches every night despite them being high-level NBA defenders. So, um, you know, we hope for the best and hope that Gordon's got the game plan to sort of create an outcome that's bigger than the sum of our parts. And, um, yeah, hopefully USA discombobulate and, you know, all the egos, you know, clash and they just fall apart. That's the hope. <laughs> yeah, because what did they come last World Cup? It was like eighth, right? It was a disaster. It's becoming increasingly ugly for them. Yeah, it's. I can't remember exactly where they landed, but uh, you know, never in a million years. You know, if you told me a decade or two ago that the USA would be placing the way that they have been recently, I think they'll be looking to make amends for that for sure. Yeah, one last thing on Team USA. I do really like. Um, Tyrese Halliburton as the point guard on this team. I think if there's any guy that you could have brought in that um, is going to be able to keep everything running smoothly and know when to defer and know who's the hot hand and get them going, because a lot of this roster is going to be reliant on point guard play with their their shooting ability, like Austin Reeves, Cam Johnson, uh, Josh Hart, Mikael Bridges on offense as well. So having a creator like Halliburton, I think just... I think that scares me as much as Edwards, just the way he can open up a floor. Mm. And again, Halliburton, not necessarily a guy that, you know, plays super heliocentrically. He, you know, doesn't need the ball in his hands heaps. He's a great connecting piece, you know, makes the right reads. He's going to share the sugar. Um, They're set up really well. You know, got the playmakers, got the shooters, and then those lead scorers. All right. So unless you have anything else i want to get a couple of predictions from you mm. uh assuming the boomers make the gold medal game who do they play against uh for that's a tough one um i think it has more, to be from the other other half of the tournament so a through d a through d i'm i'm gonna have to get the groups up here but just looking at the teams on paper you say a through d yeah, well, we're in Group E, so that's just my logic. Okay. Well, it's it's funny you say that because A through D seem like some of the weaker um, groups of the tournament. So we might actually, if we get to the gold medal game, I'm fancying our chances. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, you know, it's USA. I don't, I'm not too scared of Serbia without Jokic as good as some of their players are. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe we versus the USA in the gold medal match. Wouldn't that be something? Yeah, and we actually didn't touch on this because probably the, we, the likelihood of us playing against them is pretty remote, but Canada are a dark horse as well. Um, missing a few of their guys still, and then we've actually got more NBA players and then we have the most NBA players in the, in the tournament outside of America, funnily enough. Incredible. Um, you know, without Anthony Wiggins and Jamal Murray sadly pulling out, but still I think Canada have the best, uh, second best player at the tournament in Shea Gilgis-Alexander. So they, they're another one who you know, they could be banging on the door of a gold medal match too. 
Yeah, it's funny we talk about the amount of NBA players that we have, and you know we like to include our you know our two way guys and our, our guys on absolute. Uh, Jack White's on a full deal now. I'll have you know. Full deal, full deal. I'll give him that. Um, <laughs> but you know, you look at the quality of NBA players that Canada has, and it really is you know on paper night and day compared to you know the personnel that we're putting out. You know, SGA, you know, top 10, 20 player in this league in the NBA. A guy like RJ Barrett, that guy's a legitimate starter in the league. And, you know, so many of their supporting cast are, you know, really tenured NBA pieces and legit NBA pieces. So, you know, I think Canada's had the talent for a little while now, um, you know, and yes, they're missing some pieces, but on the whole, still super laden with talent. Um, It's been a case of them getting some high level coaching under them, getting some cohesiveness and some consistency in the roster so that those guys really learn to play together. Um, but, you know, I think they're slowly getting there and, you know, they have as much upside as anybody else in this tournament. Yeah, and I mean, Lou Dort, uh, Dylan Brooks, who we like to make fun of, are probably one of the better defenders at a FIBA tournament. Um, they've got two scrubs, though, so I don't know. The, the scrub brothers. Um, I think the, the Canada problem has always just been their association, right? Like, for everything I've heard, like, it's, the guys didn't want to play for them, but obviously that's changed now, so... Definitely the most dangerous team Canada has put out in in a good while, I think. Yeah, and do they do they have Andrew Wiggins this year? Because no, they, no, he's not there. He's not there because they have like on paper, if they were to get every guy with Canadian citizenship on board, man, what a team they'd have! It'd be absolutely incredible. Yes, yeah, so we don't know their full roster yet. It's down to fourteen, but I mean, yeah, Shea, yeah. Lou Dort, Brooks, Barrett, uh, Alexander Walker, uh, yeah. Olynyk, and Dwight Powell are their NBA guys. Yep. No, that's a that's a super roster. Um, yeah, and and their pool as well. If, if we have a look at their pool, you know, well they're in yes. with France. That's their issue. Yeah, that that'll be really interesting. Um, but you know, they could, they could pull an upset there. I reckon they could beat out France. Um, you know, if they're playing at their full capacity. So, um, yeah, really intriguing to see how they're going because uh, you know they're not they haven't really made their mark on the FIBA scene yet. But I think this could be the tournament that they really. Uh, let everyone know that they're they're on board. Yeah, I think they're they're going to be games I'm going to be watching the most. And let's a, a word for our brothers across the ditch. <laughs> Man, it's you know it's so great to see New Zealand in this tournament. Um, and you know it's it's such a shame they don't have the Webster brothers playing this year. They don't have Sam Wardenberg. You know uh, they don't have Stephen Adams. Let's throw him in there. Um, <laughs> you know, there there's so much talent that New Zealand do have. Um, but even still, they've been super competitive. They've been playing hard in these warm-up games. Yes, it's going to be really hard for them. Yes, they have the USA <laughs> in their group, which is going to be extremely tough. But how awesome to see, you know, so many of the players that we're familiar with through the NBL um, out competing in this stage as well. Similarly to South Sudan, just seeing um, so many familiar names representing their country and playing hard. Um, really exciting stuff. Yeah, I mean, look at the rest of their group, though. It's a, it's a Greece without a Tedegupo, and I mean, Greece is probably still on mm. paper a better roster. They've got some, like, their EuroLeague setup is incredible, and they've got a bunch of guys that have played in the NBA in the past, uh, and Jordan. So it's not outside the realms of possibility that New Zealand could scrape in as a second. Um, obviously, it relies on them beating Greece, I think, who are a better team, but... Mm. It's not 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 uh, not outside the realms. I don't think. Again, this is the the volatility of this tournament play, right? You know, yes, on paper, Greece probably pull it out nine times out of ten, but all you need is one upset. You know, I think they 
should have the upper hand against Jordan. I think they can pull that out. And you know, how awesome would it be to see them scope into that second spot there in the group? Yeah. Uh, prediction for player of the tournament. Player of the tournament. Oh, you know, I actually, I want to go with SGA. You know, I think, um, <laughs> I think he, you know, again, you know, a safe bet's probably someone like Luca, but SGA is, you know, popping onto the scene really first time, you know, in a major fever tournament. You know, we know he's an amazing NBA player. Um, just, I pick him because I'm so excited to see how he'll do in this setting. It just should be really fun. Yeah, obviously people can't see, but I threw my hands up because that's who I was going to pick. So, <laughs> but pretty mind. much the same reason. Yeah, yeah. No, look, you know, you know, I think him and Luca are one and two. Um, you know, however way you want to slice it, but you know, just the novelty of having him out there will be be really cool. Yeah, and I think Edwards, if the USA win, I think will be their most important. If Australia, like in that world, who's Australia's most important? You know, like the guy that would be getting the recognition. Is it still Paddy Mills? Man, I, I'm really uh, dissuaded by his shooting performance in these warm-up games. Not that, you know, I, I, I know Joe Ingles said, you know, in one of these, um, you know, little interviews at halftime or full-time or one of the warm-up games, he said, look, this guy's been bailing us out for the last 10, 15 years. Like, he's allowed to have an off game. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, part of me thinks there's just a chance he has an off tournament, which, you know, can happen. Um, in which case, you know, I think Josh Giddy's the guy. You know, I think his scoring will be a little less consistent and less prolific. It's just the nature of who he is as a player. But um, due to his size, due to his, you know, preternatural passing ability, something you can rely on game in and game out. Um, you know, I think he has a really strong baseline of production and, you know, he's probably going to be the guy for us this this time around. Uh, any team that you think could surprise people? Maybe someone that we haven't even spoken about. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for a little sentimental pick here. I'm going to say South Sudan. Um, you know, again, you know, it's a, it's a fun little narrative. You know, these guys, you know, it's, it's the youngest country on earth. You know, they've, put together this team, uh, you know, only really over the last few years, the first time that they put together a team, you know, for these qualifying rounds, they're just plucking guys out of out of Melbourne, you know, at the last minute to put a team together, you know, not even necessarily NBL guys, but NBL one guys, some guys playing big V. Um, and you look at where that's got them now, they've obviously recruited well and brought some Aussie guys in, brought in guys like Wenyan Gabriel um, and some other NBA talent. And they've actually been really sensational in their warm-up games. You know, they were really competitive um, against teams like Brazil, um, you know, in these Australia versus World Series. And, you know, this is just going to be the start for them, I think. Just being a part of the tournament is, you know, a win in and of itself um, and a great achievement for them. But I think they could surprise some, you know, with their play this time around. And they're just going to continue to recruit and make this team stronger and stronger um, you know, another guy they could have got this year is Bol Bol, um, guy with South Sudanese background. Um, and there's so many more South Sudanese talents out there that are yet to join the program. So, um, you know, the emergence of African basketball is, you know, just going to continue to surge over the coming decades. And I think we're going to see them probably become the best team in Africa sooner rather than later, which is really cool. Yeah, and I mean, there's some other guys that have played or been on the Boomers radar in the past that could conceivably join them in the future, like, uh, Wani Swakala Bullock, uh, not just Slum Maker, but Makur and Matur Maker as well. So, you know, I mean, it's endless. And 
I mean, that kid that they had running around there, that 17-year-old, 16-year-old who was just came on for just a little bit of a, like, come on, Malawatch, just like, I was watching him play and I was like, oh, this guy's all right. And I heard he's in the Global Academy. He's like, he's 16. I'm sorry. What? Like, yeah. this kid's 7-1. And he was like, literally got on the court, I think threw down a dunk and then hit a couple of threes. And I was like, oh, this, this is unfair. Yes. Incredible talent. Um, you know, one of the best African prospects coming through. Um, you know, not just young, massive, athletic, long, shoots a three, runs the floor. The The ceiling is immense. He'll probably be in the NBA sooner rather than later. I've actually seen him, you know, in similar events to guys like Rocco Zakarski, who we mentioned off the top. And, you know, I think there's a very legitimate debate for who is the best prospect among the two. And I almost lean towards Carmen, um, as is his talent level. So, yeah, very exciting emergence for them. And, you know, I think we're going to see plenty more guys come in the coming years. Yeah, I mean, just overall, though, just really looking forward to this tournament. There's some teams we haven't even spoken about that could make some noise. Um, Spain, we haven't even mentioned them, you know, uh, Lithuania, Montenegro with Nikola Vucevic, Lightning, even Group A. Actually, I did want to get your thoughts. What are your thoughts on the triple hosting tournament? Triple hosting tournament? What do you mean? Oh, sorry, as in three host countries. Like, uh, yeah, look, it's it's an interesting format, isn't it? I, I feel like it's a little bit disjointed personally. Um, but, you know, whatever works. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I know, like, as I said at the start, we're in the five-year anniversary today or this week of the uh, infamous basketball thriller in Manila. But like, I'm still really keen to see just how the, the Filipino fans like react, like treat this World Cup because it's it's going to be off the chain, those games in Manila. Man, I, I still have very vivid memories sitting on the couch watching that one five years ago. It was a hell of an experience. It was interesting to see that some of the players um, have, have spoken up and made some, some of the Australian players made some comments about that um, interaction that we had with the Filipino team and, and fans and staffers and whoever else was involved. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully things are simmered down and we don't see an event like that anytime soon. <laughs> well, was anyone on this roster in that team besides Golding? And I don't Nick believe Kay? so. Nick Kay, no, was he was, there? Oh, Della Vadova was there. Obviously, he's not a part of the final 12. Yeah, Delian Thom, Thom was famously there. <laughs> Thom was famously there. I think he'll go down for that flying kick. I don't think that he'll ever live that one down. Um, yeah, otherwise, what an experience. What a, what a crazy uh, little memory. Again, you know, it's not just the, uh, the World Cups and Olympics. You know, all the different windows have their uh, exciting moments or interesting moments, for lack of a better term. I've just looked up the, uh, the roster. Yeah, delivered over... Chris Golding, Nick Kay was there. Okay. Uh, Kevin Lish. Uh, this is the right game, right? Yeah, all right. Yeah. Kevin Lish, Thon Maker, Angus Brandt, Jason Kadee, Anthony Drimmick, Glidden, Kickett, McCarran, Sobey. There you go. Yes, Sobey. Right in the thick of it in that one. Sobey in CG 43. Yeah. But anyway, it's going to be a great tournament. It's going to be great to watch in a really friendly time zone for us as well, which I think is the most important thing. Absolutely, man. So some of these uh, time zones you cop over the uh, the years in different um, different areas are a bit of a killer, but it's nice to, to enjoy it at a reasonable hour. Makes it all worth it. <laughs> yeah, now nah, super exciting. Always came for another uh, World Cup, Olympic sport, you name it. 
um, you know, I think we're still riding the momentum of the rose gold and hopefully we can one up it and, and do a little bit better this time around. Well, two up it, come on. Yeah, two, two up it. Let's let's go all the way. Why not? <laughs> where can we find your work? Uh, pick and roll, still where it's at, still producing for the pick and roll. Um, there's a little bit of content publicly available at Airtime Scouting as well if you want to check that out. Um, and otherwise, check out my Twitter at Michael Hoob. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Michael, for joining us. Uh, we'll see you next time. Catch the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating and a review. Subscribe if you haven't already. Go on the fence.com.au for more content and see you next time.